This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Internet Marketing Podcast from Site Visibility. Today, I'm joined by Sophie Moore, Head of Marketing at Pi Data Metrics, and we're going to be talking about how search demand has changed in 2020. Good morning to you, Sophie. Good morning. Uh, good morning to you. It's really uh, great to speak to you, and I'm really interested to go into a deep dive in this episode into the report that you've created. So to our listeners... This episode will be going into the How Search Demand Has Changed in 2020 report, which is an extensive report about the search landscape and what's been happening through the early stages of COVID-19 and everything we've experienced this year. And uh, Sophie has been involved in the creation of this report and will be going into granular detail about some of the categories featured in this report and also how the report was created. So we'll jump into all that in a moment. But if I can just start by asking you, Sophie, to introduce yourself maybe a little bit about your background and what you do at Pi Data Metrics? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm the head of marketing at Pi Data Metrics. I've been there for just over four years now. Um, previous to that, I was actually a client of Pi Data Metrics. I worked um, as head of search for Clark Shoes. Um, and whilst I was working in search at Clark's, I realized that the search team were sitting on a whole wealth of data that wasn't really getting outside of the search team um, and had some really interesting consumer insights in it. So whilst at Pi, we're trying to elevate that message and tell search teams um, about the absolute goldmine of data they're sitting on. Amazing. And so maybe can you go into a little bit more detail about Pi Data Metrics, the services that you offer as a company uh, and the mission that you're on? Yeah. So PyData Metrics is an enterprise search platform. So we're on a mission to democratize search data and make it available to every department in the business. So as well as realizing that online performance is becoming increasingly important to businesses, we also realize that getting data on what their customers are wanting is becoming increasingly important. And with cookie data, you know, potentially becoming harder to get hold of in the future. Macro search data is one way to look into consumer demand. Um, so we want our customers to be the best informed out there in terms of how their business model aligns to their customers' needs. And um, this question always comes up when it's software and service-related companies related to data. Can you maybe speak on who the platform is particularly good for and if any, if there's anyone or any industry that the platform maybe isn't a good fit for? That's always typically useful for something I'm always curious about, but something that our listeners are usually interested to know. Yeah, of course. So our platform is specifically good for people who have a huge amount of value um, through their website. So e-commerce businesses, obviously, is the most obvious one, but also publishers, um, finance companies, anywhere where they have to prove their kind of value online. Um, the platform itself is particularly good for businesses who are really ready to face and take on that digital challenge. Um, so specifically, digital marketing teams and search teams or content teams our kind of mantra is explore and share. So the platform works best with people who are willing and curious to get stuck into the data. Um, we also have the service side for people who are willing to start that journey but aren't quite there yet. 
um, the platform uh, is probably not so good for people who want you know like a full service uh, output with with the with all of the information kind of handed to them on a plate really so that that's what I would say our audience is I love that and I also love how you described the mission statement as I think it was democratizing search data I just think that's a, a brilliant way to describe what you do and one of the things when it comes to large data sets and analysis in this industry is the accessibility of it for both marketers and non-marketers and that's such a difficult uh it's such an important problem to solve but such a difficult one to solve and it's what yeah. makes reports like these so important so I'm really excited to get into that in a little bit more detail and um, just yeah. before so in, in a moment I'm, I'm gonna we'll go into before we get into the actual category analysis and the insights from this p- report which is essentially the real useful information for our listeners and the intriguing and interesting insights uh, we're going to be talking about the creation because sometimes it's the process that helps generate such a good report so we're going to talk a little bit about that but before i do that i'll just let our listeners know if you want to download the report and perhaps you want to read along as we're talking and uh, you just want to jump ahead and go read it. You can go to uh, Pi Data Metrics, the website, and you can download it from the marketing analysis section of that website. Uh, Sophie, can you just remind me of the URL for Pi Data Metrics so I don't get it wrong? Yeah, sure. It's just pi-datametrics.com. Brilliant. I would have forgotten the hyphen, so thanks for that very much. Um, so when we go on to the report creation aspect of this, can you maybe just talk about how the report was created, who's involved in the process, how long does it take, and what are some of the data considerations? And that's the bit that's fascinating to me. You're working with these large data sets. You're going to have mm-hmm. bias. You're going to have difficulties in trying to analyze, segment, and maybe even just curate that data into categories. Can you speak on that process for me? Yep, certainly. So the marketing team creates a market analysis report like this around once a month. Um, The first process we go through is trying to pick a subject matter or a topic that we think is timely and relevant to our target audience. So that was quite easy, obviously, with the COVID-19 pandemic. So we really want to make sure we're providing insights at the right time. Um, and I think with any large data set exploration, you really need to go into the data with a question you want to answer. So once you've kind of looked at a few different data sets, we, d- we tend to always go in with that question that we want to answer. So everything we're collating is, is centered around that. So we pick the topic and we pick a, t- a question we want to answer. We have uh, uh, three or four people working on the report. So we have somebody collating all of the data. Um, We have a couple of insight authors and we have a designer working on it as well, because uh, we really believe that, um, as we were talking earlier about making that search data accessible to other people, the way that search data is presented is hugely important to that. And the way it's communicated is it can be the make or break of getting other teams interested in the data. There's a really good book and website we always refer back to called Information is Beautiful. And it shows data presented really, really nicely. And we've just seen so much more uptake when, when it's presented nicely like that. So it's really important we have the designer working on the report too. So the process, basically, once we pick the topic, we use our own platform to put into all of the data we want to track. That has to track for a week or two to get the historic data going back for two through four years. Once we have all of the data tracked, we, as a team, sit down and look at all of the different categories and subcategories and 
pick out anything that we think is of particular interest or either backs up or completely counters the story that we were trying to tell so we can get a nice 360 view on the subject. Then we start structuring it into more of a story. So looking at the search trends as a whole, looking at uh, the specifics of key terms, because we really want the report to be actionable to people. So not just saying, oh, this topic is trending, but then picking out specific terms or phrases within that topic that's particularly popular at the moment. Um, We've started more recently with the diversification of SERP features to look at which SERP features are most present for those topics as well. So does a topic have a certain amount of video cards, Twitter cards? Um, People also ask, we always tend to do a bit of a deep dive into because uh, it's so interesting, the questions people are asking around these topics. And it's really good ideas for the content teams uh, to be creating long form content around these questions. And then a really key part of the report as well as looking at the top players. Once we've identified who those top players are, we can then take a bit of a deep dive into their own performance. So we can identify what the success profile looks like and advise others that that's probably a good way to go in terms of their strategy or their tactics. You mentioned bias. And obviously, with a platform where you have to input the data to get anything back, that's a huge consideration for us because we don't want to make the story slightly skewed by the input data we're putting in. So we tend to put in huge data sets, thousands and thousands of key terms, and then distill it down to make sure we're not missing any of those keywords. But there's always a chance that we could miss a topic or a key phrase that that is trending just because we haven't thought about it, you know? Mm. And um, it's actually important just as we just before we go into the detail of the report to let listeners know anyone that's downloading this that the bulk of the report is formed from information from Google UK, so data from Google UK, and the majority of the report. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, Sophie, but it's for the period of uh, January to April 2020 versus previous year in, yeah. in most circumstances, and there are yeah. a few differences in the report. Um, yeah, right, but that doesn't mean that um, that doesn't mean that Pi Data Metrics is limited to just that search engine or just that country. Um, actually, maybe that's a good question for you, Sophie. It's uh, it's pretty much every search engine and pretty much every country you have data for. Isn't it? that's correct, isn't it? Yeah, every search engine. Yeah, exactly. Every search engine, every country, and also we use the Google data, and then we try and overlay our own proprietary data on top. So, putting applying a value to searches um, and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And um, you talked about questions. So you, um, you said something along the lines of, you know, we're trying to ask ourselves a key question to answer in these reports. I imagine this was an interesting time when you came together with your team and you said, right, what do we want to know about this um, pandemic, you know, from from a search behavior perspective? Did, were there any interesting assumptions just coming into the report that people wanted to know about? Yeah, so this one was an interesting one for us because, as I'm sure you've seen already, there was there's such a huge amount of content already going out on this topic. So one thing we discussed was that we wanted to provide some interesting insight around COVID-19 and, and the reactive trends that were happening as a result of that. But we also wanted it to be more useful in the long term. So if you hadn't already reacted to those trends as a business, you were kind of behind the curve already by the time the report came out, you know. So we wanted to try and highlight whether some of the trends we saw 
were going to be just spikes, you know, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, or whether it would become a, a longer trend and something that businesses should adapt their strategy around. So that was a key point for us. And we're always trying to kind of hammer home the message that you can apply the methodology of this trend spotting and reacting uh, to it to pretty much any topic that's relevant to your business. And the examples we choose are just that, they're examples. Um, So we didn't, like I said, we didn't want it to just be a one-hit wonder report that then was useless afterwards. We wanted it to be useful going forward into the future as well. Yeah, uh, that's really interesting and uh, some great kind of questions to answer and good solutions to solve. Um, moving on to uh, kind of why you're creating these reports, uh, just it should be obvious to a lot of our listeners and just any marketers that these reports are often created from a marketing perspective for lead gen. But I know that it's more than just that for you guys. So maybe mm-hmm. can you speak a little bit on uh, the additional reasons beyond lead generation as to why you produce these reports? Who are you creating them for? Yeah, of course. So I think I've touched on it slightly already, but during my time at Clark's and others within Pi as well, I've had lots of experience working in various different companies. Um, And it struck all of us that SEO doesn't really have a prominent enough place at all on the marketing or business agenda. So it's obviously very easy for me to say that now and sound biased because, you know, I work for an SEO company. But back at Clark's, I was managing multiple channels at one point and SEO was always kind of left out. Um, As I said at the start of this, SEO data is such good consumer data and it's really uninvasive consumer data because it's at the macro level, not at the personal level. Um, So it's a great reflection of market demand. Um, It doesn't have the flaws of survey data in terms of that level of bias. Um, So in creating these reports, we really want SEOs themselves to be able to use them to communicate the importance of their work and elevate themselves within the business. We think SEOs should have a really senior role within a business for the amount of value that uh, SEO could make or uh, not make for your business if if it's done poorly. Um, So we also want to raise the profile of SEO and search data in general amongst the wider marketing teams and the wider business, like, like I said. So... That's why we're producing it for our customers. And then obviously for ourselves, it's a really good source of lead generation. And it's a source of relevant lead generation because we find that the ten, uh, the types of companies that are interested in this are more of those forward thinking companies that want to make the change. So, so it's quite, as I said, it, it produces good relevant leads for us. Yeah. And when you talk about raising the profile of organic search or SEO, I'm um, all with that uh, you're preaching to the choir on that one for sure yeah. so uh, um so yeah um just a reminder that you can get this report from pi-datametrics.com and uh, find out all that information that sophie was just referring to and um just before we go into the start breaking down some of these categories uh one final question on, on the area of the report that i'm interested in is this is a 72 page report and actually even just in preparation for this podcast this is a lot of data a lot of information that you're sharing and uh, that can be overwhelming with so many reports, ebooks, books, content out there for people to digest. How do you suggest is the best way to kind of run through this report for our listeners or for anyone who downloads this report and then actually take some actionable lessons away and apply them to their marketing? Yeah, it's a really good question. And firstly, I couldn't agree more. 
there's obviously so much content out there that it can become hugely overwhelming. And I remember when I started out, there wasn't even half as much content as there is now. It's really tricky to know what what are the really crucial things you need to learn about and what what's just noise. So if anything, one of the objectives of this report is to simplify and distill that data. We want to make it more digestible and, as you said earlier, more accessible. So a lot of the trends that we highlight are seasonal or evergreen. So we want marketers to be able to apply simple and repeatable strategies with their campaigns. We use, we use the same uh, process every time, which we follow, which is plan, influence, peak and repeat. So looking at the data and deciding when you should plan your campaigns, when's a really good time to start influencing your audience based on a rise in demand what your tactics should be at the peak of a demand and identifying afterwards whether you should repeat that content or that optimization or, or move on to something else. And as I said before, you can apply that to pretty much any trend, um, the same type of strategy. So my piece of advice would be to find one big insight, um, work on that Use that as an example to get buy-in from other teams. Um, use it as your business case and then move on to the next big insight whilst obviously monitoring performance of the previous work you've done. Uh, it can be overwhelming, but you kind of have to eat the elephant one bite at a time. And doing one thing really well is obviously better than a, than being overwhelmed by the data and just becoming a bit static. And as, as I mentioned before, we hope that these reports can be used as a communication tool to amplify the importance of cross-team collaboration, which I know is a bit of a buzzword uh, phrase now, but it's mentioned all the time. And it's mentioned all the time because it's so important. And some businesses we see still aren't structured in a way that they could facilitate multiple teams using the same data source. Um, and with the diversification of the Google SERPs, that's just going to become ever more important. So that's kind of a roundabout way of answering your question. <laughs> yeah, no, there's some great advice there and a really interesting framework. Out of interest, do you have anything on your website related to that framework? Yes, Any we do. Content? It's oh. actually in, highlighted in pretty much most of our reports. We go back to it in every report. So on that landing page that you mentioned earlier, um, yeah. on the market analysis reports section of our website, which is in the navigation bar, there are loads of reports to download and we apply the same strategy in, in every report. So you can find it there for a, for a lot of different sectors. There you go. So, and we're going to be talking about some of the, some of the key insights from this report in a moment anyway. So there's some that you might be able to take away and apply that framework to straight away. And uh, apologies to any vegetarians that are listening because eat the elephant is not a phrase that I've heard before. <laughs> um, uh, that really threw me when you mentioned that. Sorry. I mean, I'm vegetarian, so I can tell you I'm not eating any <laughs> elephants, but um, it's something that I've been told throughout my career by, by a few different people actually. So I apply it to my personal life as well. So when you see a huge big challenge, you can't just stand there and look at it and look at the elephant. You have to just think, get through it one thing at a time. <laughs> that's brilliant. I've never, I've never heard that. So there you I, I go. Really like that. you that, that's, that. something gonna, that's something I'm going to take away with. Hi, this is Kara Swisher. And I want to talk to you about my new podcast for the New York Times called Sway. If you want to know what people who hold power in our world are really all about, you need to hear how they answer the tough questions. And that is my specialty. And although it might get messy, as it always does, it's also going to be really fun. 
You can get Sway wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes are available Mondays and Thursdays. Me as well. Uh, thanks. For that. Okay, so um, in a, uh, so now we're going to go into the bulk of the report, so the the key sections of the report, the insights. But as I mentioned a moment ago, there are seventy two pages of this report, and I'm going to summarize um, for our listeners because there are loads of different categories of the, this report, and some we're going to touch on in a moment, and some that we're not going to touch on. So, in this report, high data metrics cover health and household as a category, fitness equipment and classes home and garden, things to do at home, sportswear and loungewear, food and drink, electricals, e-learning, online gambling, and communication. So there's a ton of useful data and insight there um, across a really wide range of categories. In a moment, Sophie and I are going to break down the categories of fitness equipment and classes, home and garden, things to do at home, and electricals. It was really difficult deciding you know, which categories to cover on the podcast. We couldn't cover them all because we'd be here all day. And that's probably not an interesting experience for everyone when you would probably want to get stuck into the report. So we're going to give you a, a kind of sneak peek of the report by going into these categories and putting out some of the key in, uh, insights and discussion points. So I guess starting off, maybe um, we can start off with the fitness equipment and classes category, um, if that's okay with you, Sophie. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can just start by just speaking on some of the ins- key insights that you identified within this fitness equipment and classes category. Mm-hmm. Of course. So we looked at two main subcategories within fitness equipment, which was the equipment itself and obviously the classes. So it's one of the sectors we've seen some absolutely phenomenal growth in, which is perhaps unsurprising with all of us having such amazing intentions at the start of lockdown. But the fitness equipment category in particular saw a huge growth. So it went from an average of 2 million monthly searches to a crazy 15 million monthly searches in April. And that was relatively sustained in May as well. So to give you some examples of the key terms that experienced the biggest growth, resistance bands saw a growth of over 500%, exercise bikes saw a growth of over 350%. So it's huge increase from what they usually see. And you just hope that the businesses that operate in those areas would have had good stock, you know, to fulfill some of those demands because they're probably never going to have as, as strong a demand as that ever again. So we were talking about it in the team the other day saying some of those bigger purchases like exercise bikes and treadmills, obviously that there probably won't be a a second peak, so to speak on some of those bigger uh, products, because once you have it, you have it, you know, but we've still seen sustained high demand for some of the smaller products such as dumbbells or resistance bands. Um, So it's something that's benefited hugely from, from the situation that we're in. We want to keep tracking it over time to see if people start, you know, when they start returning to the gyms, whether this demand goes down or whether behavior has genuinely shifted uh, for the long term in this sector and people are going to stick with home workouts over going to the gym. So we looked into fitness classes online as well. And whilst that saw some, some strong growth too, it was nowhere near the same amount. So maybe other channels were perhaps better suited for discovering fitness videos, for example, YouTube and Instagram. Um, so fitness equipment is interesting. Like we said, whilst, whilst it's peak now, it probably won't repeat. So it's, it's one to, to keep your eye on the ball with. 
Yeah, it's it's such a fascinating category, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to discuss it on this particular podcast. But the the way in which search behaviors change, the way in which people's behaviors change towards fitness and fitness classes. Um, and yeah, you're completely right. One of the first things that comes to mind, and this will be applicable to other categories, and it's just so hard to predict, which is why it's such so important to keep an eye on the data, is that for these big ticket purchases, so, you know, um, treadmills, rowing machines, cross trainers, all these kind of at home, they're, they're not cheap. You're, you're talking hundreds of pounds. And as you said, you, you're not, they're not something that you replace every year. These are a five to 10 year item, maybe in some cases. What that means is it's probably accelerated or changed seasonality. In fact, you might have thrown seasonality out of the window entirely because yeah. people are buying these things. And the next time that season to buy that thing comes around, that demand's not going to be there. Yeah. So, um, businesses might see this period of accelerated growth and then they might not out be able to match this growth period later in the year or into next year so yeah it's kind of it's like front-loading your customers almost yeah yeah it's a really good point and as we the report's called how has search demand changed in 2020 you know in a lot of categories you see the same peaks and troughs every year seasonally for different reasons be it weather or be it some kind of event but this year, it's just, you know, throw out all of the playbooks kind of thing. It's completely different. And particularly with some of the bigger ticket items, it does make you wonder what Q4 of this year is going to look like for some retailers across many different categories, because that's obviously when they're going to see the bulk of their of their sales with Black Friday and Christmas. So it will be really interesting to see if we see the same peaks this year or whether people have kind of front loaded their spending to the start of the year. Mm. yeah I'm, I'm not sure if we cover it as we talk about some of these other categories i can't remember but th- there's one category that stands out which summarizes or symbolizes that big change and that's gaming because yeah. gaming is typically a category that's reserved for christmas presents so yeah. you know the buying season is october november in preparation for people unwrapping those games consoles and games in december yeah. and uh, that's completely changed and uh, it's spiking right now, which means that people are going to be unwrapping very different presents this year. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's going to be a really interesting time. It's actually, um, I know we go on to it later in the report, but my boyfriend was very pleased that he managed to sell his Nintendo Switch over lockdown for more on eBay than he actually bought it for. So, oh, wow. Because they were in such high demand and they were sold out everywhere. So you know the the demand was huge and you're right it's going to it might be demand for different products so again it's about keeping around the data to see where else you could be investing your marketing and your communications outside of some of the things you might have done normally mm. and also um and this is this can be seen both in a positive and negative light uh, it the pricing point that you just touched on so it, it's really a time to revisit your pricing because you may be able to demand higher levels of uh your if your products are in demand you might be able to charge higher for them in this period than you could at any point ever and that Mm -hmm. obviously lends itself positively in some industries negatively to things like healthcare where you don't want people overcharging for certain products uh, due to the due to the impact that has socially and economically yeah so um it's a it's a really tough situation to be in but there are certain industries where maybe your if your product's in demand you can charge a little bit higher for it um mm-hmm. so yeah that's a that's a really interesting area of pricing and something yeah. i think pe- we i think we experienced that very early on actually in this pandemic with people that were buying antibacterial hand gel and stuff like that and trying to resell them at crazy prices that's probably yeah. the best example of that 
Yeah, um, as you said, you've mm. got to be obviously you want to keep a track on things like that. And usually be be there a pandemic or not, you think the higher demand the product, the more you can charge for it. But as you said as well, it's just the sensitivities there around mm. uh the moral and ethical stance of your company or some of those things, particularly as you said in healthcare. I think there could be some long standing brand issues if you if you uh, exploit the situation too far with some of those things. Definitely, yeah. It's kind of be commercially shrewd but not to the detriment of being socially conscious is kind of where you need to be yeah um and going on to um the highest growth and most search keywords can you maybe talk on some of the key insights that you found in this in this area of fitness uh, equipment and classes yeah of course so um so the most search keywords were those big bigger ticket things like we said exercise bike treadmill gym equipment in general, cross trainer, which gym equipment is kind of, you know, it makes you think someone's willing to kit out their entire living room with the gym. They're not being specific. But then some of the highest growth terms in particular, where we've seen thousands of percent growth is kettlebells or uh, I mentioned that free exercises, uh, free exercise classes online, you know, there wasn't huge search volume. There still isn't, but there was huge growth. So it was 8,000% more in April than it was in May. Online workouts from home, again, um, uh, 3,800% growth from from March to April. So a lot of these people are looking for the free options. So free online Pilates classes, exercise online free. So whilst if you're if you're a gym or someone who provides those services, that might not seem that appealing to you because you're thinking, oh, this isn't commercially valuable. People are looking for free things. But what I have seen a few uh, fitness influencers and gyms do particularly well is use this as an introduction to their services and their brand. So capitalizing on the high demand or higher than usual demand for free classes online um, run free classes online all through lockdown and then slowly but surely they're starting to introduce payment options now um, and I think the ones who have done that have you know been really smart about the situation and taken the short-term hit on providing services without a fee for probably a lot of customer gain going forwards. Yeah, well, one of the notes I had in preparation for this was the freemium model. And it's just speaking anecdotally. Um, yeah, I've been I've bought into so many free trials and things during this period and then have become a paying customer of those services. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, one of the ones that stands out to me is Fitbit Premium, actually, which mm-hmm. they I think they offered a 90 day free trial as, uh, during this pandemic. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I'd, in front of me, I have some notes for this podcast. And one of the things I'd written down for this category is that if you're a, if you're an online fitness instructor you're a gym just any kind of fitness establishment establishment there's definitely evidence to suggest that people are looking for that free kind of commitment free entry into fitness at home and so that freemium model is definitely one to explore that that stood out to me from this particular report mm-hmm. yeah and, and and the other thing that i thought was interesting and i didn't i i thought it was interesting to see resistance bands which was Going back to the report, I'm just going to bring it up in front of me. Yeah, it was number one in the most search, so it had the highest search volume. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just thinking to myself that it, it might just be it, a, number one. I was targeted with so many resistance bands ads, and I was thinking, why? Why might that? I don't know if you were as well, but uh, yeah. I hear you laughing. So, and I, I was thinking to myself, why might that be? And it, number one, I guess it's it's a small product, and it's um, 
it's not too costly so it's one that's accessible to everyone and i guess it must be easy to make and distribute and that's why so many companies were popping up and selling this particular product at this time and and the more you see the product the more than it increases the search demand for it yeah and i think that's right in terms of the ads like you said but also some of the classes i don't know if you've seen the same but they're all the the online classes seem to be using resistance bands as well i mean i don't know if it's a new kind of fitness trend because it's always been dumbbells obviously but all of the online classes i was looking at it said weights and resistance band needed so obviously you go straight online and, and get your weights and resistance bands so yeah i think uh i think the kind of industry created a bit of that demand as well yeah so again an interesting insight or an interesting trend to follow there is perhaps the use of resistance bands in fitness in in gyms and because alongside that typically what happens is is you'll have one of these top keywords like resistance bands which will have a massive search volume but then it will they'll become and we'll talk about this in a moment actually when we say when we look at the people also ask type questions Mm -hmm. but um with resistance bands people are going to be now looking for okay i've got this thing how the bloody hell do i use it um yeah how do i use a resistance band uh you know will it injure me uh do i have to clean it and all of these long tail key terms related to resistance bands yeah. Um, so that's going to be a whole market, um, yeah. particularly in terms of SEO. Um, yeah. And actually, so just um, just on that point, so um, for our listeners, again, when you download this report, you'll see that each of these categories that I spoke uh, through earlier, they've each got a section which briefly touches on people also ask related questions, which are just lifted from Google search. And it just gives you a snapshot of an insight into what people are searching for related to these topics, which I actually found really interesting looking through. And so um, on in this category of fitness um, equipment and classes, can you maybe speak on the interesting things that you saw from the people also, also ask research that you undertook? Yeah, of course. So we we obviously always talk about going for the long tail in SEO, uh, particularly for some of those really competitive terms where it's going to be really difficult for you to get in position one for. But people also ask is now really front and center in the Google SERP on page one. So it's definitely a good place to be harvesting some ideas for your long tail key terms. So there are so many relevant product questions that businesses could create content for and perform for in more of a unsaturated area of Google. So in fitness in particular, a lot of the questions that were asked where does does this work will this will this you know help me achieve my fitness goals or what is the best so we'd highly recommend that if people are in this space they're they're trying to create informative content to appear for those sorts of terms so I mean across pretty much every sector you can guess that there'll be a what is the best question there so that's something you can apply to lots of different things. But in fitness in particular, one question that we saw cropping up time and time again was, does this work? So people want to know either through well-informed sources or through the peer reviews, whether they think certain uh, workouts or certain equipment is actually going to be worth investing in. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. I've just thought about a product that I see. I'm interested in the fitness space and just the products. And I've actually purchased fitness equipment during the pandemic, similar to all these other people that are searching. And um, I recently started getting targeted with these infrared sauna blankets. Um, I don't know if you've seen those. And one of the brands out there is called My High, and they're an Australian brand. They're kind of the leader in um, this particular area. And so, again, one of the first things I saw was like, is this a scam? You know, how hot does it get? Um, can you lose weight using this? Um, yeah. Is it good for 
is it good for people with these types of problems? And I started searching all that weird stuff. Um, and it's exactly what happens is you start to uh, gain exposure to new things. And actually, that's something as you were talking there that I was thinking about is that alongside you said there's always going to be demand search demand for the best so people that are comparing new products but that search demand i assume will be accelerated particularly for something like resistance bands because Mm -hmm. we just talked about we don't know you know we're we're maybe a little bit more interested in this fitness space than some people people Mm -hmm. that have no prior interest or experience in the fitness area they're probably seeing these ads and then they that that need to know about that particular product or service, whatever it is, they're going to go away and search for it. So Mm -hmm. because there's a lack of information already there about the product and service, there's going to be an increased search demand for comparative type content, more info. It's more the informational search queries related to that. Yeah. And particularly you're, you're completely right with these product searches because as, as people who are maybe a bit more interested in fitness, I don't know about you, but I'm quite loyal in terms of my, my gym clothing brands so I would be quite specific and probably search brands first for those sorts of things but with equipment you know I'm in the complete generic search space I don't care which provider gives me the resistance bands or the dumbbells you know that's not going to impact uh, impact what I buy so you're right people are trying to search and look for the best ones and maybe don't assume that the the best clothing providers are actually going to be the best providers of the of the gym equipment as well Hmm. so i guess a a key bit of organic search advice uh, which we won't be getting into the granular detail about this in this particular podcast but it's if you're a service provider in that space and you have that equipment or you have that gear um you and we can see that people are looking for best type products it means that people are looking for more detailed or comparative information so perhaps that's something you want to include on the landing page about that product you want mm-hmm. to include how your product compares or how your service compares to the next competitor that's probably mm-hmm. more important now than ever as as pe- as the search demand accelerates in this area and, and just closing out this category um you also have this section in each category about the top performing players in each category um, can you maybe speak on what you've seen in the fitness area yep so we look at top performance by share of uh, visibility on google um we then apply our own um proprietary data on top so you get a higher share of voice for if you're present for the more valuable terms so it's actually really a share of value so what we saw in the fitness space was that argos was a really impressive player in the space even beating amazon which is always impressive to see um any uh retailer beating amazon in in the serps so uh some relatively unheard of websites as well were still managing to beat some of the bigger players further down the top 20 list so that's good. We we kind of see people with really strong URLs in the space performing really highly on our share of visibility. But also there was quite a big representation from publishers as well as retailers. So obviously that's going to be interesting to the publishers themselves. So Men's Health, uh, Good Housekeeping, all of those types of uh, publications. But it's also really interesting for the brands themselves to see which publications are performing really high for uh, visibility in some of these sectors because you might choose to uh, place ads with those publishers because they're the ones that are getting the most eyeballs on their content for this particular topic. So that's something we always advise our customers to look at. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, you just reminded me of a lot of people don't seem to have heard this phrase but there's a a terminology it's a little bit dated now but called barnacle SEO which is essentially about 
collaborating with people who are all ranking already ranking in google search yeah. for certain keywords so I'm, I'm looking at this report in front of me and men's health is um in the t- uh, top 15 share of voice and so they might already be featuring you know best treadmills for home use something like that and they would have already produced the report well you really want to be reaching out to the editors the journalists the people that are involved in the creation of the reports to collaborate possibly working on editorial or advertorial features with those people and um, to make sure that when they write that content because that content's probably going to rank um yeah. for a lot of those related keywords to make sure that you're visible and it's one way to make sure that you get some brand exposure in the instance where you can't compete for that specific keyword or subset of yeah. keywords Exactly. So I think that's such an important, good piece of advice. And I think as well as the competition level, so men's health would be really difficult for you to compete with anyway um, in terms yep. of their authority and their content. So that's a really good point. But also it's looking at the intent of the customer. So um, whilst you could perhaps create some really good content on does this work, um, in terms of what what's the best, the customer is probably going to be looking for an unbiased source for that. So it wouldn't necessarily work for you to create that content on your own website and be convincing. But as you said, if you partnered with someone like uh, Men's Health in this instance to do like a top 10 article of which you were one of those people that was featured as as a really good product in this space, then it seems a bit more uh, authentic as well and maybe might suit the intent of the buyer a bit better. Yeah, no, you're you're completely right. And Sophie, it's so fascinating you touch on that because I talk about this, you know, I feel like I talk about this more often than a lot of other topics, particularly on organic search. But there's still that organic search vanity where, you know, people, whoever it is, business owners, marketers, they want to be number one or first page for whatever it is the key the keyword is that they're targeting and actually sometimes it's not you and you that needs to be there and maybe that's not in your best interests to be there number one because as you said there's a whole aspect of organic search related to authenticity and social proof and that doesn't always necessarily come through if you're one you're the one blowing your own horn um you know that social proof should come from third parties it's natural if it comes from third parties and so that definitely needs to be a part of people's organic search strategy particularly when they're considering some of the terms that we just talked about yeah yeah completely Um, so i i I feel like we covered a lot of information about that category are there (laughs) any other insights that you want to share before we move on to another category uh no let's move on to another category i think um although i could spend all day talking about this (laughs) this category i want to give the others a chance so (laughs) No, well, that's an interesting one. And uh, shout out to anyone out there. And actually, this is a really important note. So shout out to anyone that has put their efforts into a fitness journey, because I find that amazing, fascinating and inspirational. But yeah. do not put yourself down if you haven't done that. This is, uh, I was speaking to someone about this in the team the other day. This is a pandemic. There are no rules. You yeah. do not have to be on a fitness journey. So do not uh, yeah, do not put yourself down if you haven't done that. Um, yeah. It's just a really important, I think, to get that message out there when it comes to this subject too. Completely. Um, Okay, so uh, moving on to the home and garden category. Uh, again, very sim- um, and again for our listeners, when you download this report, pi-datametrics.com, um, you'll see that the category, the structure of this report is the same for each category, and they start. Uh, you start off with key insights from the category. Can you maybe speak on some of the key, the top level key insights? Um, so again, it's just the same story, insane growth going on. Um, and an example here would be for the subcategory of garden furniture, which is obviously um, influenced a lot by seasonality and weather. 
So in May last year, I remember we did a blog around it about how much uh, the garden furniture searches had grown. We thought it was a, a huge growth. And that went from 2 million average monthly searches to 5 million average monthly searches in May last year because the weather was so good. We thought, wow, that's over double. Um, whereas in April this year, at the beginning of lockdown, we saw searches soar from that 2 million average starting point to an incredible 12.5 average, uh, 12.5 million average monthly searches. So it's basically just a straight line up when you see the data for this subcategory. So people were obviously uh, considering the amount of time they'd be spending in their gardens and, and preparing for that even though, well, the weather was actually really good in April as well. So that probably uh, helped impact that as well. Yeah. Um, as you say, people preparing, pe- there's around that time in April, people started to realise that this was going to be a longer term thing. Mm-hmm. Um, people then looking to adapt their homes to make them more comfortable. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, perhaps accelerating those kind of DIY projects or that uh, that f- those furnishing projects that maybe you'd put on the back burner a little bit. And um, so investing more in their home environment. Uh, I know, again, anecdotally, I'm someone that's done that. I've been doing gardening and stuff that I would never have done before. I just haven't got around to. And um, so it's no surprise to see garden furniture, perhaps. Um, One thing actually speaking right now, and this isn't included in the report, but as we're speaking right now, recording this podcast, I'm seeing the the next kind of ancillary related topic is staycations. Mm-hmm. So people have made their homes kind of comfortable. And now it looks like international travel is going to be more difficult for a long period of time. People are now looking at holidays in the UK. And I've seen the media take that and run with it as this kind of boom in staycations. So I reckon that's going to be the next area in this kind of weird pandemic situation that we're in that's going to emerge from nowhere and be the keyword topic that people will be focusing on. Yeah, 100%. And we've seen it already in all of the data as well. People are are searching for those staycation terms. Um, So yeah, we're kind of in two categories at the moment, which is, is again, slightly different to what's in the report because we've got updated data now. But the two categories of people we've seen are those searching for staycations. And then the other categories we've seen after an initial plummet, a huge rise in searches for travel insurance. So there are some out there that are going to chance it and and book holidays, but obviously trying to get insurance to cover those holidays as well. Yeah, yeah. There's um we, uh, again we don't cover it too much in this episode, but uh, there's a whole section and information related to insurance in this particular um, report, which is fascinating as well. And so yeah, we're going to see all of that in terms of search behaviour. Uh, moving on within this specific category of home and garden terms, though, can you maybe mm-hmm. speak on the insights and interesting information that you spotted related to the highest growth keywords and then the most searched keywords? Yeah, of course. So with the most searched, hot tubs actually took the top spot. So This really surprised I, me, by the way. I know this really surprised me as well. So I, it's obviously along the same line of people trying to make their homes as comfortable as possible. Mm-hmm. But we saw hot tubs uh, have a 465% growth um, year on year. So from April last year to April this year which is crazy. And I think having anecdotally spoken to a few customers that there just wasn't the stock to fulfill that demand. A couple of people, actually, it's a really good point to focus on for a second. When people uh, run out of product for a high demand uh, search term, they don't always deal with it well. And we have another 
pod, uh, we have a webinar actually on our website about this, what to deal with, uh, what to do with your site when you have an out of stock product. So a lot of people just leave it out of stock or they, sh- they remove that landing page or if they're a hot tub website, they might, uh, you know, shut down the website altogether in the interim. But there are lots of other ways where if you don't have the product, but the demand is still high, that you could retain that value, maybe get people to sign up to a waiting list, for example, or just keep that long form content on your website. So you're preserving yourself for future future searches when you do have product back. Wallpaper, again, like you said, people looking to do home improvements whilst they're stuck at home that's all a, a big growth um sun lounges and then on the list as well which is unsurprising is desks so people preparing for their home working environments so the term desks saw 256 percent increase so again that will be interesting to to see whether I don't know if there'll be a second wave of this when maybe some offices close and people are more forced to work from home than they have been previously, or whether that was just a one-off peak and now everyone's set up and they're ready, ready to work from home for the long term. Mm. Yeah, there's, in terms of home furnishings related to working from home, uh, again, one, one. I'm just going to check the report in front of me, but I remember seeing a term and I think it was, where is it? folding desks which i thought was a really interesting term i can't remember where this is i'm pretty certain it's in this this report area somewhere here and i just thought that was it i'd never heard of that before but it's another indication to me about um people at home uh, again some people are living alone but some people are living with partners and and your partner or your housemates are you know you're all working from home together so you have to have more than one desk so Mm -hmm. people are looking for these kind of space saving desk options now working from home so that's that's kind of a a term that stood out to me that i hadn't seen before um and again i i suspect that we're going to see i guess the key bit of information there is particularly if you're in e-commerce um if you're an e-commerce company and you're in this furnishing area You've really got to keep your eye on these data and these trends for these working from home related keywords that you won't have ever seen before. Um, yeah. the, the other one that comes to mind, it's not on here in the report, but I suspect will be on the rise is like second desk. Um, mm-hmm. So where you don't have this kind of full size desk, but maybe you have a, a smaller desk or yeah. compact desk um, for yeah. people living with partners or housemates. Um, yeah. No. You're so right. And also, like like we said, a lot of these trends have happened now. And, and whether you capitalized on folding desks or not, that's that's probably, you know, past now. But this isn't the end of things changing for us. So that's why I know we keep repeating it, but it's so important to keep your eye on the data to see what's the next rising trend that you could capitalize on or predict, you know. Um, and you're right. A lot of it you, you could think about before you even see the data because we know how behavior is changing we're living it you know so if you suddenly start to think to yourself oh this would be useful as i'm sure we will have having a second desk or you know like an ex- desk extension then maybe start looking into the data to see if that's more of a general trend as well it's not just something you're feeling individually yeah Absolutely. And I'm also, uh, just before we move on, I'm exceptionally jealous of everyone out there that's managed to get a hot tub in this period because it's not <laughs> something that I thought about to uh, furnish my home. I'm actually thinking to myself, why didn't I think of that? That's exactly I what I should have got. Um, so, it's so yeah, funny. Really t- you can imagine people yeah. working down their pandemic tick list, like hand sanitizer, pasta, hot tub. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. it really surprised me. It really surprised me that that was number one. And moving on, can you just speak about the top performing players in the home and garden sector? Yeah, of course. So once again, Argos take the top spot. So they're only just beating Amazon this time, but they're beating them nonetheless. Um, 
the more home and garden specific brands uh, did better than the de- department stores here. So, for example, Wayfair, Homebase, Ikea all do really well. Um, but we do see some really niche websites coming in as well. Same as the fitness categories. For example, I love wallpaper.com uh, is within the top uh, 10 there, which just, again, proves the value of having that strong URL from the start. So if that's all you sell, then you may as well whack it in your in your url or use it as part of your brand name yeah and uh, it's amazing to see argos beating amazon in some of these categories as well my first if you were to ask me to kind of predict the top 10 i think amazon would come out on top in pretty much every category here that we're talking about and actually that's not the case so uh, i guess that's a good indication for some of these big uh, e-commerce sites and uk retailers such as argos that there's you know there is still the opportunity to to beat amazon there if you if you're very specific about the categories that you focus on. Yeah, well, exactly. That's the point. So I'm looking at the share of voice chart now, which is actually broken down by subcategory anyway. So you can see he's yeah. performing best for the specifics. And Argos and Amazon are pretty much aligned in all of the subcategories, apart from that big one that we mentioned, which was garden furniture. Yeah. So they've obviously realized that that's this huge category that they should be focusing on. So they've done well to dive into the specifics there and, and really honing their strategy towards that high demand category. Yeah, that's actually another really interesting aspect of this report for anyone that's listening is the the share of voice reports that are featured in each of these category sections are, are broken down into this kind of stacked bar chart for subcategories. Um, and that that in terms of that insight that we've just provided there, that's applicable to all of these different categories. And you just find these nuggets of bit information about where some companies are outperforming others for very specific products or services or in or at least appears that way we might actually touch on that as we move on because i remember seeing somewhere in here that fitbit were really dominating i can't remember mm-hmm. which category it was but yeah, we'll come on yeah. to that in a, we'll come on to that in a moment if it's okay then um are there any other insights that you want to discuss from that or should we move on to the next category which is things to do at home yeah let's let's move on to this one this is an interesting one Okay. Yeah. So uh, starting out with the things to do at home, can you maybe speak on the key insights that you identified at a top level within this category? Yeah. So things to do at home as well as kind of a bit of a pick a mix of lots of different things, really. So the subcategories we we ended up distilling down to after looking at a lot within this section, uh, because, you know, it's not really an industry, things to do at home. Um, so the subcategories we've looked at are arts and crafts, baking recipes, board games, cooking recipes, jigsaws, uh, knitting and crochet and sewing. So there you go. Those were all the things that people were doing at home, which saw the highest growth. So just to pick on a subcategory again, uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, uh, and I wasn't one of these people, but recipe searches absolutely surged. Again, um, it's probably something we all already know. But again, the surprising thing to me anyway was just how much it grew by. So from 3 million average monthly searches to 15 million. And again, that was relatively sustained through April and May. So people weren't necessarily getting bored of this. Um, So if you were one of those people offering recipes out there, the demand was huge. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't one of those people either. And uh, I feel a little bit guilty because there's obviously a lot of people out there cooking and I'm not doing that at all. Uh, In fact, 
delivery unfortunately has been my best friend as well as actually this comes up somewhere in the report i can't remember where but fridge freezer i bought myself this kind of big freezer to, to kind of stockpile food there for this period so uh that, those have been my best friends but i've not been cooking from scratch and uh, yeah now, now i'm feeling bad about it um, know, but well, shout out shout out to all the home bakers out there i was gonna say it's, it's on to your point again that you said about the fitness thing looking at some of these categories you can feel like quite an unachieved lockdowner <laughs> with uh, the growth in the fit- fitness uh, equipment and home improvements and baking and i think Hmm. we should have really included i think we did in food and drink but just to reassure everybody out there there was also a huge surge in searches for alcohol uh so if, if you're so one drunk, of the drunk what, cooking, then. exactly <laughs> <laughs> drunk cooking or just drunk in general so not everyone was being efficient with their life <laughs> <laughs> and um uh, moving on actually to to the highest growth and most searched keywords in this category as, as we're talking about some of these different angles but i mean it just stands out to me i was surprised to see so many uh, uh board games feature at the top spot and there's something i just didn't expect i expected to see more app related terms as i came into this report people looking for certain apps and things to do at home but board games are seeing a resurgence here um, yeah. arts and crafts related terms making up the top 12 and there was a keyword in here i don't know if you know it's uh, it's w-a-s-g-i-d j puzzle yeah. i don't know what, how you pronounce that or what they are no i don't but i'm going to google oh. it after this but um <laughs> but i thought the same actually to me it all seemed a bit postmodern, to be honest mm. so board games baking yeast a thousand piece jigsaw puzzles i thought this is like my my nana's got hold of my google and uh <laughs> it's all the things that she'd be she'd be searching for you know not as you say all these apps and digital games but it's really nice yeah. to see and you think probably for families they don't want you know their their kids on on games computer games the whole time maybe board games maybe board games for a better choice but i mean i ordered three or four puzzles over lockdown i was a i was an extreme huh. puzzler oh nice <laughs> um, yeah it's it's this was a uh... This was a really interesting, probably the most surprising to me when I saw these things to do at home terms. Uh, as you said, I, I expected kind of the baking related um, and cooking recipe related um, things, even though I wasn't doing it myself terms and search behavior. But I did not expect this throwback to arts and crafts and board games. Yeah. Um, again, the, I guess some of the key message, and this is something that I was thinking about, is there are going to be people out there that are that have maybe sat on a board game project for a while, didn't think it was the right economy in which to launch that board game or crowdfund for that board game. You yeah. see a lot of board games being launched via crowdfunding. Now appears to be the time. That's what really stood out to me about this search behavior. Yeah, yeah. But again, to reassure everybody, number 12 on that list was drinking board games, which saw 570% growth. So people are keeping themselves entertained by any means, I think. Yeah. Um, So actually on that note, so if we talk to, if we uh, move on to the people also ask related phrases in this space, can you maybe speak on some of the insights or things that you found interesting? Yeah, well, a lot of these we found were very pandemic related. So for example, the the question that we saw that would stand out for us was what can you bake when you're bored? So obviously, people are looking to to be entertained. And the second one was what what are fun things to bake? You know, so um, people are using it as a source of entertainment for themselves, I think. Um, and uh, we have what's the quickest thing to bake, but also what are the most popular baked goods? So people may be thinking about baking for others. I think you you can source a whole lot of intent from some of these questions. So, yeah. 
that 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 stood out to me as interesting the the board phrase is something that um so not as in board games but as in what to bake when you're bored or, or something along those lines which is in this report that was fascinating to me mm-hmm. because not only is um is this a source of entertainment? And this is a really interesting way to think about this for anyone that's selling products at the moment. But of course, there's the entertainment aspect. But people have more time on their hands to invest in hobbies. Um, and actually, it's, uh, and I don't want to speak too deeply on this, but it's an incredibly difficult time for mental health. And mm-hmm. baking, I know just from people who bake or are interested in baking, it's a source of therapy. It's almost like mm-hmm. a source of meditation for them. So mm-hmm. I think there's a, a, a huge interest in some of these hobbies for actually mm-hmm. relaxation and mental health and the benefits yeah. of those things um and that could be a really interesting way to think about the benefits of your product and particularly if you're launching new products about how that's going to make people feel this isn't people it feels like at the moment people aren't looking for that you know instantaneous throwaway entertainment that app Actually, people are looking to invest in puzzles and things that are relaxing and they're willing to spend a little bit more time on it than maybe they were able yeah. to do or willing to do pre-pandemic. That's kind yeah. of what stands out as a possible trend. And you're completely right. And the other thing is, I mean, I did touch upon the family element, but actually mm. when I go through the list of the top 10 most searched terms, there's loads of things in there that are specifically adult-based. So we have adult craft kits, um, adult coloring uh, you know, and those are the kind of things that are more perhaps relaxing for people. So I know those adult coloring books are great. Um, so yeah, you, you're, you're completely right there. Yeah, that's it. That's really interesting about just adults searching for adult related terms. Cause this, you know, this isn't people's kids looking to entertain their parents. This is uh, adults searching for themselves or perhaps their partners, which again yeah. is another indication that, you know, we're out here, uh you know looking for things to keep us healthy uh, mentally yeah. healthy which has been interesting yeah. and and uh and happy and um exactly. moving on to the the top players and share a voice section in this particular category of things to do at home can you speak on anything that you found interesting here yeah of course so i touched on it before but as i said our share of voice is based on uh, value as well as visibility so when people rank for more commercially valuable terms their share of value is higher if that makes sense um so amazon actually performed best in this category but specifically for the arts and crafts subcategory so we see frequently things like this so even though recipes was the highest search volume it's not actually a commercially valuable term um because the intent isn't to buy something the intent is to get get gain some information Whereas when people are searching for arts and crafts terms, they do have that purchase to intent. So the cost per click is higher. Uh, so we rank it as a more valuable term for someone that's, you know, trying to sell that kind of product. So Amazon have done well to rank for the highest value terms within this category. Um, but we do also see publications such as BBC Good Food and Good Housekeeping rank for those recipe terms. Um so yeah, and just just a comment to good housekeeping as well. They're not actually a customer of ours, but we see them on pretty much every single share of voice chart. So they're doing something right out there. Yeah, and they've done a great. Uh, they've been doing great in terms of branding over these last fifteen, you know, ten fifteen years in terms of um, that. I think it's good housekeeping guide sticker. That badge of approval is something that you look for when you're looking yeah. for those kind of at home products. Um, so yeah, uh, shout out to those guys because that's something yeah. that I look out for personally when I'm when I'm looking yeah. for things as well. I mean, I've um, got, I got somebody gave me a, a subscription to Good Housekeeping for my thirtieth oh, birthday, wow. and I thought, oh, brilliant! Like 
I'm old <laughs> now, but um, I absolutely love it. So it's completely different to what I expected. <laughs> well, there you go. There's a swerve. You think it's exactly. a backhanded compliment, but it turns out to be the best thing you've ever read. So there you exactly. go. Exactly. Um, <laughs> um, and um, moving on to our final category, if that's okay, of electricals. Is there anything else you want to cover at Things at Home or, or should we move on? Yeah, no, let, let's move on to electricals. Okay, so our final category um, is electricals, the thing that kind of, I guess, I'm a geek, so I look out for all the electrical products and gadgets and things that I'm interested in. Uh, Maybe can you speak on the top-level insights that you found in this category? Yeah, sure. So something I was very surprised at, but maybe shouldn't have been, particularly based on what you were saying earlier, was the surge in fridge and freezer searches. Um, So that saw absolutely huge growth in April. So people were taking stocking up really seriously. So with lots of people buying fridges and freezers in April, it again begs the question, because that would be a particularly popular Black Friday product. Um, Will the sales of these products later in the year be affected? Because again, it's a high price item. If someone's buying a fridge or a freezer, they're probably not going to buy one again for a couple of years, you know. So if companies selling those kind of products didn't sell that then, then they might have slightly well, not necessarily miss the boat, but they might have to be a bit more clever with their marketing strategies later in the year. So beauty and grooming also went up significantly, obviously with people unable to go to salons or get something done professionally. There was a lot of home haircuts going on. So hair clippers, for example, grew hugely. Um, But then probably the most notable thing, as we talked about earlier, was the games terms just completely soared. So specific products um, in particular were Nintendo Lite, Nintendo Switch, um, PS4, Xbox and Xbox One, and also controllers because perhaps people are playing more together with their families than they were before. Um, So I don't know if you were looking for any of those products during the kind of peak lockdown, but you just couldn't get a, a Nintendo Switch anywhere. So... There would be huge amounts sold, more than usual at this time of year. Again, begging the question, what's the rest of the year going to look like for those types of companies? Yeah, you're you're completely right on both of those, uh, I guess, uh, subcategories or industries in both gaming and the kind of fridge freezer market. But yeah, uh, anecdotally, I mentioned earlier, but the reason that I purchased the freezer was actually um, when when it became clear we were going to be in lockdown. Um, I have a kind of small fridge with a freezer compartment and I realized that I didn't want to be going to the shops all the time because I didn't know what the risk of the virus was at that stage. Mm-hmm. So um, I purchased a chest freezer so that I meant I could stock up on food and not have to worry about keep going out. And at that point in time, it was unclear what the home delivery area was going to look like as well. Mm-hmm. And and again, you're completely right that, I mean, chest freezers last, uh, you know, ages, a lifetime, you know, 10 yeah. years or so, so. I won't need to purchase one again. Um, yeah. So that stands out to me. And you're com- the, the definitely Black Friday is going to be really interesting in Christmas this year. So people have to keep a close eye on those trends. But the second thing that stands out, and I think you covered this early on, I guess this is just a reminder to anyone out there, is that if you stock those products, then there's this increased demand. And then all of a sudden you're out of stock. You have to have an out of stock strategy. You yeah. have to have the functionality on your website. Otherwise you're missing sales. So that out of stock functionality could be, Again, maybe you'll speak on some things that you've seen, but a couple of things that I've seen are um, here are the alternative products. So this thing's out of stock. Look at these alternatives. Yeah. Uh, the best thing that I use, I mean, I say the best thing, this is um, subjective, is enter your email address and be notified when it comes back in stock. That's perfect yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I've had that 
you know, notify me when you're back in stock and get 5% off this order when it's back in stock. That's brilliant for me because it means yeah. that I'm committing to that purchase from that retailer then. I understand yeah. that can be quite risky in terms of, um, in terms of margins, but um, that's something that stands out to me. And sometimes it's just um, the other thing that I've seen is um, this thing is out of stock. Speak to our live chat agent for an alternative. That's always quite useful as well. Is there anything else that you've seen as a good out of stock strategy? Um, I think you've you've uh, touched on the two main ones, really. I mean, saying sign up to remind me when it's back in stock is really good. Um, and as I said, you, pr- people also bought or people also looked at um, is really good. Or pre-ordering for when it's back in stock already, it probably benefits the retailer really nicely because then you've already won that customer, you know. So uh, if you can process your order now and then we'll we'll send it to you when we are back in stock, if it's only going to be a short amount of time that you're out of stock for, it means that you don't have to re-win that customer. So later date, they've already ordered it um, and they're just waiting, waiting for that delivery time. And if people are desperate for a product, then they will wait, you know. Yeah. And um, you talked about... Uh, beauty and grooming um which i find that a fascinating subcategory here and just uh again anecdotally just what's happening is not being able to have a haircut and then having hairdressers in the uk now open but kind of this it's awkward it doesn't mm-hmm. seem enjoyable i've I've kind of grown this long mane of hair and i've still not had it <laughs> cut yet and um, i'm not too sure when i'm going to do that and i guess what what's interesting and, and keeps me curious is i wonder now if there's gonna if it's going to be the it's going to be difficult for people to go back to barbers and hairdressers and mm-hmm. beauty salons and whether they are going to seek to do that stuff long term at home because they found that there is the equipment there for them to do it at home i'm not i'm not really sure i guess it's an mm. uncertain or gray area still um do you yeah. feel the same yeah i guess my friends kind of fallen into two categories to be honest the ones where they've done the home haircuts and it's been a complete catastrophe and they're dying to get back into the the hairdressers you know and get it sorted and day one you know they were booked up ready to go in and then there are the more cautious people that are quite happy to carry on with their with their home haircuts and just think that it's fine you know um and again it just goes back to you have to keep track of the data to see what are going to be the longer term uh behavioral changes from this you know how, what percentage of people are going to go back to hairdressers versus not and what percentage of people are going to carry on doing it at home I think we don't know those trends yet until we have a few more months or maybe even a year you know to see how the land is going to lie when we go back to I hate to say it but the new normal <laughs> yeah that's a phrase I can't stand but it's so hard to avoid at the moment as well yeah uh, I, I forgive you for it uh, <laughs> so, so that we can move on uh, in harmony together for the rest of the podcast um so it may be moving on in in this particular electricals category can you speak on the the trends that you've seen and the interesting areas of the highest growth and most search terms one thing that I found interesting about this particular uh highest growth and most searched area was the tech watch term because that's a term that i hadn't seen before and i'm interested in smart watches and i just didn't know and i wondered whether you've seen this as well is that a particular brand is that just a new type of phrase being used to describe watches i just found that really interesting that's under most yeah. searched yeah i can see that actually and i'm six do you know what i actually do not know because obviously we've got fitbit and apple watch as Mm. position three and position six on the most searched um products but tech watch i mean i don't know i'll have to check it out is it generic term it's not a brand i've actually heard of yeah um, i just found so- it really interesting it's, it's number six in the highest growth search keywords see 1281 yeah. percent increase and yeah. um something i'd never heard of and i'm interested in this space so um 
for me, that stands out as one of two things. It's either a specific brand, which I might go away, Google and find that that's the case, or it might be a new type of phrase that's um, being used to describe smartwatches, in which yeah. case that's completely new to me as someone that's interested in this industry. So I just thought that was a, a really interesting insight um, before we move on. Yeah, 100%. Uh, maybe moving on to the um, people also ask, was there anything you found interesting in there? I think the main interesting one in this uh, category, which was different to others, was the phrase, is it worth it? So obviously uh, yeah. now we're in a slightly more higher price ticket category. So people are obviously asking, are these are these higher price products worth it? You know, um, so that's something that you might want to control uh, yourself as a brand and create some copy on this. But as we said earlier, you might want to uh, work with one of the influencers in the space or one of the public uh, publishers in the space to get some content published on that. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It's it's one way you, you want to partner to look to really capitalize on that area. So I found that really interesting. And, and moving on to the last section of this report, which is the top players in the share of voice in Google UK. Was there anything interesting that stood out to you in this electricals category? Yeah, so the the top three players are unsurprising. I mean, you could guess them easily as Amazon, Argos and Curry's dominate the space. But surprisingly, the next two players are Fitbit. So Fitbit is number four, which is pretty impressive. And Xbox, which just shows the dominance of the brand searches in this area. So it's a far less generic space here. You know, people know exactly what they're after. So that they're already in that purchase space when they're when they've got the brand term in front of it. So yeah. Yeah, that really stood out to me. Fitbit, um, just looking at the the stacked uh, kind of bar chart in front of me, they dominated that uh, share of voice largely through the smartwatches subcategory of keywords that they rank for. And I was yeah. just thinking about the Google acquisition of Fitbit. It just goes to show that when uh, when someone like Google or any other company acquires one of these technology companies, you, you're not only acquiring the, partic- the, the staff and the actual technology, you're inheriting all of that existing... Um, I guess the funnel of traffic and the funnel of revenue and in Fitbit's case, they're really associated now. Oddly, uh, I think maybe if you look back three years ago, it would have been fitness trackers that you'd associate them with. And now they're moving into that area of, um, I guess, wearable tech um, a little bit more as a massive shift for them. And it just, uh, it, it speaks on why that's such a shrewd acquisition for Google, I think. Yeah, completely. And and I know I'm preaching to the choir again here, but it just highlights that value of search data again. So we have some customers who don't use the search data for content optimization or SEO at all. They're using it um, to try and work out when they go into new markets, which companies they should acquire. So they're using it as one of the indicators of how much is that company worth and how much, like you said, real estate will I have in the online space if I acquire that company. Um, So it's a really interesting use for search data, which I think we're going to see more and more because, you know, especially with some shops closing now, um, your online real estate is going to be an incredibly valuable thing. And it just, uh, you know, speaks against the growing importance of SEO in general. And it, on the flip side, we see we see mistakes made frequently where businesses are perhaps doing badly or they're being sold or they're closing down and they close their website 
um, instead of keeping that value and retaining that value as something that they could uh, sell on or operate solely as an online uh, operator, you know. So these big decisions are obviously being made at a very senior level within a company, and they've obviously got a lot of things to think about. But the value of the visibility of your website should be one of those considerations. Um, It's just so important. Mm. Yeah, and, and and on on that higher level for brands that are well known and well established, but also you could take that concept that you've just talked about and apply that at a really uh, a lower level. You know, for, for those home bakers, the bloggers that gave up on their websites, you know, two years ago, not can you yeah. can you imagine the demand for? And actually, just speaking on, uh, I know we're going back a little bit there, but uh, one aspect of that home baking category is all of the area of influencer marketing that then opens up now because mm-hmm. you've got people there that have been building these blogs for years and years and years waiting for this big moment maybe yeah. they've had this small side project before and now it's thrown into the spotlight because of the pandemic and they've yeah. become these kind of overnight influencers yeah. so there's a whole area of influencer marketing for brands to explore there but also yeah. for those people that are kind of chipping away at their own blogs in these different niches do not give up on them you know whether whether you're even if you just keep these websites live you never know where the value is going to come from particularly in this kind of economic uncertainty there there are there are spikes of interest in so many niche categories at the moment that you just don't know what people are going to find the value in so keep going yeah Um, Yeah. that's the message yeah completely Um, and i was going to say you only have there's so many examples already i know I know he was famous already, but the whole Joe Wicks story in the fitness space, oh, yeah. just mm. completely capitalizing on the opportunity for an increased demand of uh, exercise videos for kids. So uh, mm. as, as you said, just keep going and wait for that time where there's going to be a bit more of an opportunity or a bit more of a market demand for your service in particular, and then just go for it. Yeah, no, that's a great example to use as well, because, um, yeah, Joe Wicks is you know you associate him with that whole fitness health and fitness we didn't touch on earlier but that fitness and equipment category he really uh you know he came into so many people's homes through his youtube classes in this period which was fascinating to see as well so yeah yeah, that's a great that's a great example so we've we've covered so much and we've only touched on four categories so just to remind our listeners that uh, you can download this report from pi-datametrics.com and the categories just to repeat them we've only covered a a few small insights in a few categories but uh, in full they are health and household fitness equipment and classes home and garden things to do at home sportswear and loungewear food and drink electricals e-learning online gambling and communication so there's if you just think that we've been speaking for maybe an hour or so on all of these uh, on just four categories there is so much useful information and trends that you can find in these different categories so i highly recommend you go and download the report um but before i let you go um were there any other insights that you found maybe just uh, if there's one or two that stand out for you from any other categories that you just want to give people a little teaser on um, that you found particularly interesting from this report and your research? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's hard to choose, but I think a particular particular category that really interested me was the e-learning space. And why that interested me so much is because I think that is probably going to be a longer standing trend rather than a one-off. People are thinking about different ways of learning now in the same way that they've been thinking about different ways of working. I mean, we were talking before the podcast started about uh, working environments and working from home. And I think that's going to be the same for education as well. So there's lots of interesting insights in that sector. And also, as we kind of touched upon earlier as well, um, insurance has been like a zigzag chart, basically, because 
travel insurance, for example, completely flopped, obviously, when no one's going on holiday, that's not a need for it. But now people are booking holidays again, but they're booking them in a risky environment. It's it's peaked hugely. So again, it's just it's just good to keep your eye on that data and make sure you're striking while the iron's hot rather than in those in those down periods. Yeah. Um, Sophie, it's been absolutely fascinating to talk to you um thank you so much for you and your team for pulling together this report and just uh, allowing me the time to uh, invest in my curiosity and kind of speak to you about some of these trends it's really interesting to speak on uh, as i've mentioned to everyone you can download the report from pipe data metrics website and go to the uh marketing insight section uh sophie before i let you go can you just let people know where they can find you and maybe just talk a little bit more about what people can expect from pi data metrics into the future yeah, of course. So um, with Pi Data Metrics, we release uh, reports on all different sorts of sectors monthly. We also uh, release quarterly leaderboards um, showing which which players in different sectors are performing well over that quarter and what the change over the quarter has been. Um, so we have those market analysis reports. We also have a webinar called SEO in the Shed, which is based on the more technical aspects of SEO, which our CTO, John Earnshaw, runs. So you can find all of that on our website um, on the SEO in the Shed page. You can find me, obviously, through my LinkedIn. And you can follow uh, PyDataMetrics on LinkedIn and on Twitter at PyDataMetrics as well. Brilliant. We're going to have all of those links in the show notes. We'll have a link to the report. And uh, Sophie, I just want to thank you for your time. And hopefully we get to speak again at some point in the future, maybe to see where the trends are in a few months time or six months time, because there's so much that's changing. And the key message that stands out to me from what you've said is keep your eye on the trends because uh, data will be your best friend at this time. Yeah, 100%. And thanks very much for having me on the podcast. And um, yeah, it's been I've really enjoyed it. No problem. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye.